now getting you set for everything Cardinals. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. This is the Redbird Report. We do this every Monday on 101 ESPN. Welcome into the show. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm Dan McLaughlin. A reminder that I have scoops with Danny Mac daily now on ESPN at 10 a.m. Coming up on the program, we'll visit with Larry Walker, who has been selected and elected to baseball's Hall of Fame, which has now been postponed, but we'll get caught up with Larry Walker. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, John Tudor, Tommy Herr, headed to the Cardinals Hall of Fame, along with Bill White. I'll catch up with my broadcast partner on the television side, Rick Horton. And a visit with Cardinals third baseman, Matt Carpenter, is coming up as well. Late last night, the MLB Players Association sent another proposal to the owners. Jeff Passan of ESPN. It is a 114-game proposal by the Major League Baseball Players Association. Season would start on June 30th end on October 31st. I think the most important point here, though, is not the size of the season, which is up for negotiation, but a caveat that they put in there about if there is no postseason this year, then they are willing to defer $100 million in salary for players making 10 million or more in the season. Now, that seems like, uh, you know, uh, we don't know if there's gonna be a postseason or not. We don't know if there's gonna be a second wave of coronavirus. The point is, owners have talked about having cash flow issues. And one way to alleviate cash flow issues is for players to defer money to the future. Now, they want these monies paid with interest, so it is deferrals with sort of a twist on it. But that being said, it opens the door potentially for more deferrals in an MLB proposal back to the Players Association. So 114 games, that was going to be something the players wanted so they could make as much money as they can. And as I've been saying, deferrals will be a necessary part of this, and potentially it is. The sense of urgency, though, to get a deal done this week, it is huge. If they are to play 114 games, they would have to cram that into 14 months. So time is of the essence this week. MLB is going to reject this proposal. It's just an inevitability like it was inevitable that the players rejected MLB's proposal on Tuesday that included the pretty drastic pay cuts for players up and down. But the issue is going to be on the owner side. Now, there is a group of owners. It's a small group at this point, but there's a group that has been fairly vocal about there not being a 2020 season and what the benefits would be to that. And the question is, is this proposal going to give them more ammunition, perhaps, going forward and being able to bring some others onto their side or are they going to see this from the players as an olive branch saying hey let's find somewhere to meet in the middle we've got a pandemic going on right now we've got a crisis going on across the country where cities are burning and are we really going to be the ones who can't come to a deal right now? If it wants to be the first professional sport in America to come back, then this week is going to be absolutely seminal. If a deal isn't struck for baseball, that would mean the sport is dark for probably 17 to 18 months. There would be no guarantee that they would come back next spring either. A year and a half is an eternity. You know, and the American public would have maybe moved on. Potentially, you could have the NHL, NBA, NFL, college football, basketball, 
golf, soccer, NASCAR, the list goes on and on. Not have baseball. All these other leagues figured out a way to get back during a pandemic, and your sport didn't. That can't happen. Buster Olney of ESPN. When they're trying to come up with an agreement, the working relationship between the players and the owners is at its worst in about a quarter of a century. In the 2016 collective bargaining talks, the owners won a lot of financial ground, and the free agency that followed was not as lucrative as the players wanted. So the amount of distrust, the amount of suspicion in these negotiations is extremely high and both sides actually have their factions. We saw Max Scherzer the other day tweet out about how from his perspective the players really are done negotiating when it comes to salary rollbacks. And on the owner's side there are some owners who'd be willing to shut down the sport right now for this year so they can mitigate financial losses. The players in this proposal talked about wearing microphones for broadcast, doing an all-star game in the offseason, maybe a home run derby to try and bring in as much revenue for the sport as they can. To not get a deal done, the consequences are almost unthinkable. Uh, it probably would spin baseball into a long cycle of labor problems. Because remember, if they, there is no baseball in 2020, and the coronavirus is still manifesting in the spring of 2021, they'd have to come up with agreement then. The collective bargaining agreement is set to expire in December 2021. I have people on the player side saying to me, the players could use the option of striking in order to get what they want. And on the owner's side, there might be some owners feeling like, hey, you know what, we've lost so much money already. We're just gonna sit back, wait out the players. A real key to this, the postseason. Baseball needs postseason television money. MLB gets about $1.3 billion from its national TV partners. Nearly three-fourths of that is tied to the postseason. So have a regular season that gives a league a playoff format to try and recoup as much as they can. The idea of a 114-game season is good for the players, but maybe not for the owners. In a way, they say, what's the difference? There are no fans in the stands, so you get the idea. This is a huge week for the sport. Something of a positive nature concerning uh, the sport is Larry Walker, the former Cardinal headed to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. And I spoke with Larry this past week about getting that call and what he's been up to. All good, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, trying to make the best of uh, out of the situation that we're, we've all been dealt with. So uh, it's a struggle for everyone, I, I know, but uh, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm plugging through it. Absolutely. Um, has it sunk in when, when I say Hall of Famer Larry Walker? Is that, is that sunk in yet for you? Yeah, you know, it, uh, not really. You know, it, I think before this pandemic stuff hit and uh, I was just getting ready to go do some things in, in Denver, up in Vancouver, uh, uh, you know, Hall of Fame related stuff. And then everything got canceled. And uh, and then it kind of just I, everything went back to normal as far as, you know, Hall of Fame stuff and talk. And, you know, I'm down in Cabo San Lucas right now and it's uh, we don't talk baseball down here. We just golf and hang out and have a couple pops now and then. And that's about it. So it's uh, it, it really it hasn't sunk in one bit. What's your handicap now? Uh, my index, I just looked today, I'm down to 4.5. Is it legitimate, though? That's that's the real question. Yeah, I don't want it to be that low. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, when, when you got the call to go to the Hall of Fame, you had to wait so long. Over the years, did you, did you ever get to the point where you're like, ah, the heck with it. You know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, that's, you know, that's fine too. Did you ever kind of get to that point where you almost get immune to it? You know what I mean? You're, you're just, you're numb to it. Did you ever get to that point over the long wait that you had to wait to get to the hall? Well, to, to be talking about it because I'm in now is something that never 
really once crossed my mind. You know, oh, how am I going to talk when I'm a Hall of Famer? You know, something I never worried about because I uh, 100% did not believe that that would happen. You know, I mean, and you could just look at my my numbers, my percentages in the votes, and gosh, I was I think I started off at 22% maybe, and I was down to 10 at one point, and um, and then you know just it was so the finish line was so far away that it didn't seem reachable, and and then. And for it to happen like it did, and I think it was the biggest jump. I made the biggest year jump or two-year jump. I can't remember uh, in, in, in the history of, of voting. So it was it was very far out of reach and didn't seem it didn't seem possible. Larry Walker, my guest, and he's headed to Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame. Um, was it a relief, Larry, or was it just something that you know? Because leading into this, and I was one of them. You know, you watch all the games. I, I've been saying forever, you're a Hall of Famer. But when it finally happens and it becomes official, is it a relief or what are the emotions that go into that when you finally get that call? Well, I don't know if it's a relief because, like I said, I never, I've never considered myself a Hall of Famer. I've never considered myself better than really anybody else. I, I'm just a ball player, you know, and I, I excelled at certain areas of the game, and um, and that was it. So I've, I've never put myself on any size of a pedestal that would allow me to you know feel relief or feel feel angered or feel any emotion it was just you know it was just something that if it happened I was going to be absolutely elated and honored and humbled by it and I am but if it didn't happen you know life goes on as normal for me and I'm I'm happy and 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 thrilled for anybody else that makes it along the way that that's really that's the thought process that went into it what do you think got you over the hump as you talk to the media and the writers specifically? What what do you think allowed you to get that big jump to get into the hall? Any idea? You know, there's a couple of things that I guess get talked about, not so much in the media, but uh, um, perhaps one of them is the analytical part of the which I don't really understand a lot of uh, what the letters stand for and all the things that go into that. And, you know, and, and with that, a lot of that came from the uh, internet people, the Twitter people and, uh, Facebook people and and I got kicked off my Twitter account. I don't know what happened. I can't even sign on to that no more. Somebody hacked into it and it's gone. It's, it's completely gone now. So I can't even communicate or see anything that's going on in there now for the last few months. But uh, and then I think the other thing I've heard of is uh, you know a, a possibility what they're doing with the the steroid guys is you know they're if they're going to get in they're going to make them wait ten years you know and for me uh, the the Colorado thing maybe that they that if he's going to get in he's going to have to wait ten years. That's some of the talk I've heard, you know, what's what's uh, real or not, I, I'm not sure on. When you reflect back on your time in St. Louis, and I mentioned at the beginning, albeit it was short, but yet, I don't know, Larry, I, I, I just feel like you've been a Cardinal forever. Do you, do you feel that way because you're so uh, engaged with the organization now that your playing career is done and the way you're received here? Do you feel like a Cardinal? I, I think you are, but what's it like for you? <laughs> I've been saying that for the last decade or so, you know, at the... Uh... A year and I think two months, three months I spent in a Cardinal uniform, but uh, the open arms that were there when I came from, you know, from everybody that worked at the security gate to the ticket office to, you know, the people, guys that stood outside of our, our locker room and especially the fans, you know, number one over uh, and anyone is just, it was enormous. And, you know, and as a visitor coming into St. Louis, it's one of those ballparks. There's only a few of them that you really look forward to going into because, they get it, you know. The, the seats are f- filled with people, and they 
they cheer for their home team. They they don't boo everybody. They don't uh, you know curse and swear and and really downgrade the opponents as they come in. If an opponent comes in, you do something good. You know they'll, they'll applaud for you. So it's just true professionalism by the the fans of St. Louis and. And uh, and I got to experience in the home white uniform, which was a was a thrill for a year and a few months. Now that you reflect on uh, the teams that you were on, were so good. Oh four and oh five, hundred win seasons, and then they win in oh six. Did you think about coming back in oh six, or had your body just told you, Larry, it's enough? It's been a great run. And were you ever during that oh six campaign? Uh, being talked about with other teams or the Cardinals coming back to you and saying, hey, if you want to give it a run for a short time, come on back? Well, you're supposed to say, uh, Larry, I'd like to say thank you for retiring after 05 so that the Cardinals could win in 06. <laughs> you're supposed to say. Right. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. I wanted to see you back. I loved watching you play, so I wanted you back. Well, yeah, listen, my, my career, it was, uh, it was fun, and you know, the numbers could have been a lot better if it wasn't for injuries. And, and the injuries had a lot to do with why I was just, I was done rehab. And I couldn't, no matter how hard I worked in the wintertime, I couldn't keep myself healthy. And, and things just kept happening. And at that time, I was dealing with a herniated disc in my neck. And, you know, I had three different shots in my neck to try to get through the season. And uh, I I think I was more worn out from rehabbing. Because it's a lot, rehab is a lot harder than actually playing. So, and you know what, my time was up. I didn't want to hang on to whatever you know, was left in the twilight of my career and take up a young kid's spot. That that went through my head as well and and just uh you know, just a lot of different things that just made us made it a fairly easy choice. It was never you never want to walk away from the competition because that's why we play. It's it's so much fun to compete against other guys. But you know, I, I felt the time was right and and uh, no, nobody reached out. It was, you know, there, there was a couple of things, uh, DHs in here and there, but I was just, I was good with my decision. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did the club did get you an 06 ring though? Did they not? They did. I, uh, I spent spring training, most of spring training with the club and I made a three or four stops on the road. I do some road trips with them for a week or so. And, uh, yeah, in San Diego, Cal Eldred and myself were there and, uh, went in and had a team meeting and we were part of that and Walt Jockety got up and spoke in front of the team and, and announced that they were giving both myself and Cal a, a World Series ring from 06. Just, you know, we'd never had one. We and then we, you know, we put some work in to, to be with the team that season and, uh, oh my God, it just, you know, if, 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 how many reasons are there why it was so incredible, incredibly awesome and honored to put a Cardinal uniform on? Well, there's another one. What a, what a class move and uh, and just a thrill to have that, that ring on my finger. Yeah, what's it mean to you, you know, to, to have that ring for as long as you played and to finally have that ring and to know that you did have a role with that team? What's that, what's that mean to you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny to put it on knowing that I got a World Series ring on it. I never, I never suited up and actually stepped between the lines <laughs> like an inning or an out for that matter. But you know what, it's, uh, it, for me, it holds a, the Cardinals hold a huge spot in my heart for, for what they've done and, and, and just in the little time that I spent there, for them to open their pocketbooks like this and buy a, buy a ring for me is, uh, I, I tell you what, it, uh, the word first class gets thrown around a lot with the Cardinals organization, and it's thrown around for a reason. Do you have any itch to get in uniform and coach, come back as an instructor? Do you ever hear from younger players looking for advice, but basically any kind of role in baseball? Do you have that itch? Uh, the only thing I do is, is Team Canada stuff. Uh, I coach Team Canada in any events uh, that we do, the Pan Am Games, you know, uh, uh, the Olympics that were coming up. We've been a lot of qualifiers trying to make trying to make the, the Olympic club. It's tough for us. We're not, we don't have a big pool to choose from as Canadians. So 
but uh, you know, in, in all honesty, I'm, I'm I don't think I'm a good instructor. I, I don't uh, I don't know if I know how to relay everything I learned and what I did and the way I did it, and, and relay that to somebody. I just don't know. Uh, I don't know if I have the ability to do that, and I don't want to be put in a situation where I'm going to fail and let people down, and just uh, uh, so it really hasn't entered my mind now. Couple more questions, Larry. I'll let you go. Really appreciate your time, Larry Walker, Baseball Hall of Famer, my guest, and. Uh, to be from Canada, Ferguson Jenkins from Canada, Hall of Famer. Now, Larry Walker, what has it meant to Canadian baseball and your country, such a proud country, to have somebody from Canada go into baseball's Hall of Fame? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a pretty neat thing, you know. Like I say, Fergie's the only one in there, uh, the only the only player, the only the only pitcher in, and now I get the honor of being the only position player in. And um, gosh, you know, it's 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 a neat thing and. Uh, a lot of people have, uh, are some are maybe a little disappointed, even though the correct decision was to put a, a Cardinals cap on my plaque, uh, or I mean a Rockies uh, cap on my plaque, and some people wanted an Expo one on there. But you know, like I say, my 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 answer to that when they say that is it is a a Rockies hat. The Cardinals name is on the plaque. The Expo's name is on the plaque, and there's a Canadian flag on my heart that never goes away. So you know, the the fact that I came north of the border and did something that. Well, no other position player has ever from my country is a huge honor, and I and I hope it really uh, inspires a lot of kids uh, to play the game more north of the border, and 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 you know and, and know they have a chance, even though they they grow up in areas where you know baseball isn't very plentiful, and you can't play it all that many months of the season either. Have you talked to Tyler O'Neill? Uh, I talked to him in spring training, and and he looks up to you, being from Canada, and he said it's just amazing to see one of our own go into. Uh, the Hall of Fame, and I'm sure you've you've dealt with Tyler and and maybe some of the international games. But have you had the chance to visit with him after the announcement was made? I, I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think I've seen really a lot of players. Uh, you know, because of this uh, mess that's happened, everything got canceled, so I haven't had a chance. I never got up to camp before uh, before it was shut down. Uh, but you know, I think I did see him uh, when I did the fantasy camp. I think he was there for a day and got to talk with him. And uh, and saw him briefly there, but yeah, you know, I tell you what, talk, talk about just untapped ability and talent that is just waiting to get unleashed. Uh, uh, I, I kind of feel sorry for some of the pitchers in the league <laughs> that when Tyler fig- figures this out, it, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. In terms of the Hall of Fame uh, canceled this year, so according, you know, of course it, it goes according to plan for Larry Walker. He had to wait forever to get in the Hall of Fame. Then a pandemic hit, so. Uh, what what is Cooperstown telling you on on the plans to make sure that you and Derek Jeter and Ted Simmons all get your proper due? Yeah, like uh, as of right now, it's all been pushed back to 2021. So whoever goes in uh, next year, we'll, uh, we'll we'll do it all in one day as one big class uh, is what's going to happen now, and that's I believe around sometime around July 23rd or somewhere in that neighborhood next year. So um, you know, I, I I've had many a sleepless nights. I had many sleepless nights after the 04 season when we didn't win the World Series. I had just horrible times getting to sleep because I kept thinking about what if and, and when we didn't win, got swept by the Red Sox. And, and I had the same feelings came back for this. Once that call came, I had many sleepless nights figuring out how I'm going to be able to go up on that podium and speak in front of 80-some-odd thousand people that are out in the field and uh, they're listening to me. What we're doing right here on the phone, this is easy. I don't see a single person where I'm sitting right now, so it's <laughs> kind of simple to do. And it, but uh, my, my my nerves thinking about that keeps me up at night on, on trying to figure out what to, what to write down on a piece of paper and relay to everybody. So I'm hoping uh, this extra 
extra 12 months will, will let me figure it out better. Have you started writing anything down? I did. I started on my computer and started writing. I got a couple pages in, and, and every time I reread it, I uh, I want to just erase it all because it <laughs> I think it sounds <laughs> terrible, so I don't know when I'm going to get it right. Well, it's going to be a, a cardinal flavor to that Hall of Fame when you go in with you and Ted Simmons having played here in significant roles in St. Louis. It is awesome to hear uh, your voice, Larry, and hopefully you and your family are, are healthy and doing well. And again, congratulations on going into Baseball's Hall of Fame. So well-deserved and, and great to catch up with you, and thanks for your time. You bet, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Larry Walker, the former Cardinal. Boy, was he good. Only a year and a half, but was tremendous in St. Louis at the back end of his career. Coming up, we'll talk about the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Tommy Hurd, John Tudor, they're headed to the Cardinals Hall of Fame along with Bill White. They were recently elected to the Cardinals Hall of Fame presented by Edward Jones. And I'll visit with Rick Horton next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We do this every Monday at 6 on 101 ESPN. A reminder, I have scoops with Danny Mac daily at 10. This past week, I had the chance to catch up with Rick Horton, my broadcast partner on the TV side for Cardinals baseball. And the Cardinals had exciting news. The fan vote was in. Tommy Hurd, John Tudor elected to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Bill White also headed to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And a guy that had a front row seat watching those players, with the exception of Bill White, was my broadcast partner, and that's Rick Horton. I got his thoughts on not only that, but also will we have baseball coming up in 2020? Well, let me first say Bill White. I grew up uh, in New York, so I listened to Bill White regularly as a broadcaster for Yankees baseball. So I feel like, you know, I, I'm a fan of his even before I had the Cardinal connection and knew all about his great numbers. So congratulations to him. And of course, he was the league president for a long time. So very well deserved. But the two guys that I played with, Dan, that is uh, very special to me that two guys that I care about, that I'm still friends with, get a chance to uh, have this honor. And I feel like vicariously, I get to enjoy it with them. You know, I feel like when, when Ozzie went in the Hall of Fame, uh, the National Baseball Hall of Fame, and when Whitey went in, I felt like a part of me uh, had a joy from that, that. I can't even explain it, but it, did I have anything to do with them going there? No, but I feel like I'm part of their lives and their friends. I feel the same way about Tom uh, and John Tudor, both very deserving Cardinal Hall of Famers. Tommy Hur was kind of the the link of those 1980s teams that gets overlooked. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think he's understated in some ways. Tom is not a talker, but when Tom would talk after games, I talk about this a lot, he would kind of hold court and say, here's why we won, here's why we lost. And so when Tom would speak, everybody would listen. He knew the game, still knows the game, uh, inside and out, knew all the rules. Uh, I've likened him to the Yadier Molina of, of those uh, teams where he just was like having another manager or another coach on the field. And, and Tom just did a lot of things right. And, uh, you know, his, his hands were incredible as a second baseman. And had Tom Herr not gotten hurt in the minor leagues, Dan, he might have been a 60, 70, 80 stolen base guy in the big leagues. You know, we're talking about Vince Coleman and Willie McGee all the time as far as stolen bases. Tom Herr might have, might have been in there had he not had all of his knee injuries, but still a, a, a dynamic player. When you think of John Tudor, what comes to mind when you think of this great lefty that is the ERA leader in St. Louis Cardinals history? 
Well, John, I think of pursuit of excellence. Everything he did, he wanted to do it as well as he could possibly do it. As a young pitcher, he threw 90, people don't know this, but when he was with the Red Sox and he was a 13-game winner at Fenway Park as a young pitcher, he was throwing 92, 93 miles an hour. But by the time his shoulder went through all the things that pitchers' shoulders go through, he, he was throwing in the mid-80s, maybe max, and didn't have a great breaking ball. He was fastball changeup. Fastball at 85, changeup at 78. And, you know, I saw him do things with that changeup, make people look silly. Uh, and, and, and he did it with such a perfectionism uh, that I think was really his trademark. He threw, you know, in that year in 1985, Dan, I don't know how many pitches total you throw in a year, but I'm going to say 98% of them were exactly where he wanted it to go. Yeah, and, and go back to that year, 1985. If not for Dwight Gooden, he wins the Cy Young. So he starts out one and seven, then goes on this unbelievable run. What, what happened in that 1985 season that allowed him to click? Well, I think in, in a couple of things about that. He was one and seven, but his ERA was three seven, which is not great, but we, he was not getting a lot of support either. Uh, and you think about that. Let, let's say that we would have been able to win half those games. The team got off to a bad start, actually, in 1985. But he wins half those games. Maybe he does win the Cy Young because he ends up being a 25-game winner, 26-game winner. Uh, but during that streak, uh, he had uh, you know, a high school uh, teammate uh, call him and say, you know, you're doing something a little bit different with your delivery in terms of where your hands are and, your, and, your, and, and kind of uh, where, your, where your motion is. And he made that quick change, and it just everything fell into place, like a golfer that finally gets his swing on plane. And he was just uh, meticulously – uh, perfect after that and uh, he, he would he would come in <laughs> my favorite thing about John Tudor is that he, during that streak of going whatever it was 20 and one he'd come in after every warm-up session and say I've got nothing today got no chance of, of winning get ready boys and of course we weren't even wearing our spikes we were wearing our turf shoes because we knew we had the night off and and sure enough uh, he would say he had nothing and he would pitch a 88 pitch complete game shutout uh, 10 shutouts, by the way, for John Tudor that year. He, he, the last guy to have 10 or more shutouts as a big league pitcher. I think it's pretty amazing. Tommy Herr in that year has 110 runs batted in with only eight home runs. That's unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, and you're talking about a pennant winning team, which is a big deal. You want to win the World Series, and we didn't. But, but that team was extraordinarily good. We, we were really close to each other. And, and you know, back then, Dan, uh, I think a, a fan of uh, baseball history will know that in the 80s, and that is a, a ways back, but everybody's, everybody's best hitter hit third. Now, Mike Trout doesn't hit third now, and, you know, that's not what people do anymore. They might hit second. You might hit, you might hit third. You might hit first. But back then, everybody's best hitter hit third. Well, guess who was hitting third? For, for most of that season for the Cardinals, it was Tommy Herr. Several switch hitters in the lineup, but he took advantage of the fact that the guys in front of him were pretty good, pretty good players, could run the bases. He would take pitches and let them steal. You know, they, they say that about Ted Sizemore and Lou Brock. Ted Sizemore might have hit 20 points higher had he swung at pitches early in the count and didn't give Brock a, a chance to steal. He'd say the same thing about Tom Herr. But once they got the second or third, he was incredible at driving them in. But that was kind of the key with Tommy when you think about it. He gave himself up a lot for the betterment of the team. And that's something I think that gets overlooked a lot with Tommy Hurst's career. Yeah, and, and knowing Tom the way I, I know him, uh, he was over – the word overlooked, we've said that a couple of times, but that is so him. I mean, he – you know, you, when you think about those teams, obviously you think about the kind of the, 
the excitement of, of, of Vince Coleman and, and Willie McGee and, and the perfection at shortstop with Ozzie Smith. But you always talk about Smith and her, Smith and her, Smith and her. Well, Tom was almost the, the afterthought. Yet, um, you know, I would say our team leader in many respects. And, and the guy that, you know, when it, when it came down to it, you wanted him at the plate to drive in the run. I mean, there were guys that could hit the ball further than Tommy Herr. No question about that. But you're talking about a consistent quality at bat where somebody is, is doing uh, what the situation requires. He was great at situational hitting. And, uh, again, that's who you want when the game's on the line. And, and so I, I'm so happy for Tom because I, I know what it means to him, Dan, to be recognized. I feel the same way about John Tudor. John Tudor is recognized by Cardinal fans as being a tremendous uh, competitor in the 80s. I don't know if he's had a chance to feel that yet not living in St. Louis. So these are two out-of-town guys that are going to come back into town whenever we are able to do that. And, and I am excited to see the emotions that might come from these two guys uh, based on the fan reception. What do you think it means to Whitey? I know Whitey was really pushing for these guys to get into the Hall of Fame. I, I, think, it's, uh, I think he's very, very happy about that. There's no question. You know, Whitey's always thought that, you know, there's some players in the 80s that maybe we missed. And I, I think the, the reality with this process of the Hall of Fame is you know you're doing a little catch up and it, because of, of, of when it started and you certainly have the Hall of Famers in there the baseball Hall of Famers they were kind of the natural and then you kind of get the more recent favorites and and then you kind of reach back and get the favorites from the 60s and the 40s and the 20s and and, and you know you're doing your best to cover all those eras but there was a time probably where the 80s were being overlooked a bit and, and I think Whitey uh, to be able to see those guys uh, in red jackets um, you know, he's going to feel like he's got his boys back on the field with him. And uh, I'm looking forward to that moment. What do you think the speeches will be like for both Tommy and John Tudor? John Tudor can be a little crusty now, so it'd <laughs> well, be a little fun. I, I got to say Tom Hurst a little crusty too. So, so, but I mean, both of them are just, they're just not very kind of, they're stoic, both of them. I mean, in different ways, Tom mm -hmm. is just kind of very stoic and, and, and John is intellectually stoic and they're just not, you know, I, I know I heard a report of John was, was asked about uh, what it feels like. He goes, yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I know he means more than that. I know he feels more than that. I know it's important to him. And again, with Tom as well, had a chance to text both of those guys and, and they're honored uh, to be in the Hall of Fame. They're not speech makers, either one of them. Uh, but, but I hope that a little bit of their passion and their personality comes out in this. Uh, and uh, you're not going to, again, see a big, you know, big presentation from either one of them uh, because that's not their style. But uh, I think they let their, their playing do the speaking for them. And finally, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about baseball in 2020. What, what do you think? Do you think we're going to have it? And, and if we do, what's it going to look like? I'm still very hopeful, Dan. And, you know, as, you know, as the negotiations along the way of, you know, kind of, it been an issue, and there's all kinds of issues. There's issues with everybody going back to work, frankly. So it shouldn't surprise us that that's happening in sports and in baseball in particular, which is our world here. But I just think there are too many reasons uh, for us not to come back. I just that's my that's what I'm standing on, and that's what I'm hopeful in. That you know, fans want baseball, owners want baseball, players want baseball. Now, the how you get there is the is the of course the uh, the big trick and the big magic. But but I think ultimately 
we'll get there because it's that important to each one of us that love the game. Many thanks to Rick Horton coming up on the Redbird Report. We'll visit with Cardinals third baseman, maybe DH in 2020. That's Matt Carpenter. He's coming up next. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Redbird Report rolls on. Our thanks to Larry Walker, Rick Horton. Now a chance to visit with Matt Carpenter. Reminder, every day, 10 o'clock, scoops with Danny Mack. And every Monday at 6, it is the Redbird Report. Had the chance to catch up with Matt Carpenter this past week. And it's a very uh, open interview about his love of the game of baseball, where he's at getting prepared for 2020, and missing St. Louis. I think you're going to enjoy this, a visit with Matt Carpenter. Dan, thanks, man. We, uh, you know, things are going as well as, as they can be. We um, obviously um, are certainly missing St. Louis. We're missing being out and playing, uh, missing getting a chance to go out and be, represent the city of uh, St. Louis and the great Cardinal um, organization every day. But, um, you know, we have, you use this opportunity to really, you know, enjoy some family time. Um, you know, everybody's kind of forced into that right now. So, um, you know, we're making the most of it. In terms of baseball, how have you and guys around the league been able to stay sharp? Some guys, you know, may have facilities. Other guys don't. What are some of the things that you're hearing, and what are some of the things that you're doing? You know, across the league, um, it's different for everybody, you know, based off of your living situation, you know, what city you're in, who you're around. Um, you know, a lot of guys um, a little are a little bit more fortunate than others based off of where they live and who, who they're able to be around um you know i in my personal situation uh, i've been really lucky um you know i my dad and mom have been quarantined with us for this entire time and um you know as many people know my dad was 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 my high school coach and um so i've had a guy that um has been able to throw to me and hit to me um throughout this entire quarantine process and here as of late um, the local high school that we're right here next to, um, we've been able to get in touch with the, with the superintendent and also the head baseball coach there and, um, being able to get on their field with a group of guys. So actually today I was just up at, uh, their high school, um, facing live pitching. So it, it's been a kind of a good situation. How do you feel if they said, okay, um, you're going to go face some major league pitching tomorrow. How, how far away are you from doing that? And are you fairly close to being able to just kind of jump in the box and get ready to, to get back going again. Yeah, I think I'm close. I, I really do. I think, you know, I've been, because I've been in a fortunate situation to have facilities to use and have you know my dad around and being able to face guys, I feel like I'm closer than maybe some guys are. Um, and that's only because of, you know, I've had the access. Um, but I think all of us, you know, I speak for every hitter. I think that, you know, we can be ready in a couple of weeks when given the green light. When I look back at your spring training, I, I could see you working on different things, especially going the other way. How do you feel where you were at spring training then, and, and how do you feel about working on those things and where you're at right now? I felt really good um, towards the end of camp. I felt like I was really peaking at the right time. I liked all the off-season work I put together and uh, was starting to let it kind of see kind of see it come to life in games. Um, and then we got you know this whole thing happening, obviously um, – you know, kind of changed our plans a little bit, but, um, and right now I feel good. I mean, I, I'm continuing to stay with that same kind of mindset and approach that I had headed into, um, 
spring training and um, been able to continue to work on it, you know, using the whole field, driving the ball um, gap to gap and um, feel good about it. Looking forward to when the season gets going. Absolutely. I like to hear when and not if. Um, Matt Carpenter, I mean this affectionately. You know, we hear about a gym rat in basketball. You're our, our, our baseball rat. So when you're not around the guys, which is a part of it, you're not traveling, you're not at a big league atmosphere, what, what do you miss the most about playing Major League Baseball? And has it provided a different perspective now when it's taken away? Man, that list is long. Um, there's so many things that I miss. But I, I'll tell you, as much as I – as much as uh, – and I've said this, you know, before. I was a fan of this game way longer than I've been a player of it. And that, was, that you know, goes into Major League Baseball, you know, being able to watch games too. I mean, when I get home after we play, I turn on the TV and watch the West Coast games. I just enjoy watching baseball. I really do. And so I'm really struggling with that um, because, you know, one day when my career is going to be over, I'll still watch baseball. I enjoy it. And the fact that it is nowhere to be found is hard for me. And, you know, I, I, I'm missing it, you know, greatly, like, like many of us are. I'm curious, you know, we're all watching the older games. And this past week, 2011, is when you actually made your Major League debut and the Cardinals won the World Series um, that season. And we've seen some of the great Cardinal teams of 82 and 85 and 87 and 06. Um, are there any games that you've really watched and picked up something from a player you're watching? Because you can pick up little things. And like I said, you're, you're such a bright guy and intuitive to the game and a baseball rat. Have you picked up anything in watching some of those games from older generations and how that could pertain to what's going on now? Oh, for sure. There's no doubt in my mind um, that, you know, the ability player, really, to be honest, ability for me has never been, you know, I'm not just a guy that was blessed with a ton of athletic ability. Um, you know, what I have been able to accomplish as a player, a lot of that has been from just watching the game. Um, you know, as a kid, I always had a baseball game on TV. I was always watching, you know, the teams, you know, teams on TV, anybody that played Cardinals, Astros, doesn't matter. Whoever was on TV, I was watching it. And then combine that with the fact that, you know, I grew up around the baseball field, having my dad be a coach. I mean, all that plays a big role in, um, you know, who I am today as a player. And I'm constantly, even today, I'll, I'll turn on games, you know, I'll watch an old game and, and, and something will catch my eye and be like, oh man, you know, that's a good <laughs> idea. Or, you know, I should have done that. Or maybe that'll help me next season. Is there a guy that you have really, you know, liked in terms of watching the past games in this quarantine that you're like, hey, I like how he played. I didn't realize that he did this differently at the box because you'll see things as a great athlete and as, you know, one of the best in the world that average Joe like myself will not pick up. Has there been anybody like that pitching-wise, hitting, fielding, anything like that? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's an easy answer. And one, I'm sure Cardinal fans have heard a ton. And for me, that's Albert. Um, you know, the, the MLB network, when they went through their little stretch of like kind of honoring Albert, I don't know if you caught any of that or not. Oh, yeah. I saw a, a bunch of it. Played, yeah. Right. They played a bunch of some of those games. Some, uh, you know, a lot of them you had great calls on. Um, Thank but you. He, he, uh, that guy, I mean, I did get to play with him a little bit, but I mean, who he was at the beginning and who he still is, I mean, you are who you are, but. He was just, and you got to see it more than most. I mean, it's just that guy was just an absolute freak. What he was able to do, and 
the you know the thing that I think I'm most amazed about Albert was that you know there are a lot of great players that have played major league baseball that have done amazing things, but you have big hits and hit a home a bunch of homers and do all this stuff. Albert had an ability. It felt like he always did it when you needed him to do it for the yes. team. That was the one thing that stands out the most about him to me. The big moment. He always, no doubt. He was able to slow it down, and the great ones slow down when the game is on the line. I don't know how they do it, but I don't know if you think that way too. The great guys in this game slow it down some way, somehow, and it just – and then they rise to the occasion. They've got the mental – uh, fortitude to do that and I don't know if that's what stands out for you but when people ask me about Albert I'm like well he was great I mean he's a physical specimen he's a great hitter best right-handed hitter I've ever seen but he was slowing it down in the moment and the great ones find a way to do that do you agree totally agree and he he literally might be the poster child for that when he was going through his best stretch of 10 years in St. Louis I mean nobody in the game maybe ever was as good as he was at that how about Yachty, uh, Matt? You know, pull back the curtain on Yachty a little bit, and he has said publicly he wants to play longer, and I, I would never doubt him on that. But he, he said he wants to be the, known as the best catcher that ever played the game. Um, he's the best I've ever seen. When you're a teammate and play with him and, and watch him do what he does every day, pull back the curtain a little bit. What, what is it about him that takes him to another level that makes him the special player and maybe the best that uh, will ever play that position? Well, I, you know, for those that have – it's funny you say that. I was just having this conversation with somebody about probably two days ago, and it's been perfect timing. Have you followed the Last Dance documentary? Oh, yeah. Okay. A- absolutely. Which has been – was phenomenal. And um, the one of the best ways I can describe what Yachty is and who – you know, the teammate that he is, the kind of person he is, is, is Michael Jordan. There – Michael Jordan, obviously different sport and arguably maybe the greatest athlete of all time, but I, the similarities that, that, that those two have Yachty and Michael Jordan are shockingly, there's a lot of them. I mean, really, really close, um, similar, similar people, the way they, the way they motivate their teammates, their desire to win, their hunger for winning their ability, their killer instinct. I mean, Yachty and him are very similar. Interesting. Like, is it uh, and can you feel that as a teammate, or is it something that you could see even in the seats or on television as a fan? You know what I mean? I think, There's got to be almost got to be around him, I guess. I don't think that you can really. I think you can appreciate it as a fan. I think that if you watch him on a day to day basis, you can kind of get a sense of it. But I don't think it's it's kind of like you know same same as I was mentioning about that documentary. You knew that about Michael Jordan, but then you watch it and you see it and you hear from his teammates, then you get a whole nother greater appreciation. I think that's how Yachty is. The people in that locker room really see it. I think St. Louis understands a lot about, you know, how special and how lucky we are to have a guy like Yachty or Molina there for as long as we have. And, but I think that I don't think you'll ever appreciate it. Like, like a teammate will just because you see it day in, day out. Yeah, and you see the work that goes in behind the scenes. A um, couple more questions, I'll let you go. And this has been great stuff, and I, I really appreciate your time. Um, have you gone back to the Wrigley Field uh, series that you had where they couldn't get you out to the point that Joe Madden put in a fourth outfielder? And can you describe what that's like to be in a zone like that? And have you ever been in a zone like that? High school, Little League, whatever. But you did it at Wrigley Field. <laughs> I, yeah, man, I don't, I'll tell you, that, that stretch of baseball for me, 
um, you know, I, I just, I've never, I don't, I don't, it'd be hard to recreate that. I mean, the way I felt in that, um, I mean, that was just, that series in particular, I mean, I, I just felt like if there was just nothing, no matter what happened, if they threw a strike over the plate, I felt like I was going to not just hit it hard. I felt like it was either going to be a double or a home run every single time. That's literally how I felt. And to go through a stretch like that as a player, um, it's pretty special because they're, they're really, you just don't get many times like that. I've never in the, in my entire career been, a, been hotter. Little League, um, college, high school, I've never gone through a stretch. And to be able to do it against big league fishing, good big league fishing, you know, in Chicago, um was just beyond words of how much fun that was um and you know my whole thing now is like how can i recreate that every day that's the whole thing as a player is you want you want to get back to that um easier said than done final question um can you describe and have you thought about what the emotions might be like to be back on a big league field and playing baseball albeit with a lot of different things going on just to get there but just have you thought about that? Do you allow yourself to get to, to thinking what that might be like and the emotions with it? I, I have. I think the biggest thing that that I don't think just me, I think all of us are going to come out of this thing with is, is, a, is a, a new perspective of, of many things. But one, how lucky we are to be able to put on a uniform every day and go out and play a game that I would assume we all love. Um, I know certainly I do. And then to do it, um, you know, and I'll speak selfishly for the St. Louis players to do it in, at, at such a great place um, like Bush Stadium in front of such great fans like we have for such a great organization with such rich history like we do. Um, I just think this whole COVID-19 pandemic has just opened up my eyes to how special that is and not to take any moment of it for granted. And, and having those days, you know, I sent a tweet out a few weeks ago, kind of, you know, being serious and also poking fun at the things that I miss. I mean, the things there's, there's, there's literally some of the worst things that, you know, most big leaders are complaining about. I mean, we would do anything to have those back right now. So we're never going to play uh, complain about, I think it was a 3 a.m. flight after a long game, maybe being in the 18th inning of a game at 1 a.m. in Arizona. We're never going to complain about that again. Are we bring it on? I'm ready. <laughs> I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> I think we all would. Hey, Matt, great to catch up. It's awesome to hear your voice. Please be safe and healthy with you and your little ones and your family. And I really appreciate your time, and you offer great perspective. And I know the fans certainly appreciate that and look forward to seeing you back in St. Louis very, very soon. Again, thank you so much. Dan, thank you. Same to you. That's Matt Carpenter. I'll wrap up the show, the Redbird Report, in just a moment. We'll be right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Welcome back to the show that does it for the Redbird Report. Again, it's done every Monday at 6 here on 101 ESPN. And I have scoops with Danny Mack daily at 10 on 101. For Rick Horton, Matt Carpenter, Larry Walker, Thanks for being with us, and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. That was the Danny Mac Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com.